There's a new episode launching tomorrow. Actually, Z is editing it right now. But I wanted to drop about 15 minutes of our latest members episode right here so everyone can hear the kind of stuff we've been talking about on the other feed. The truth is that many members who normally support the podcast just can't right now. The economy is tough and a lot of our community is feeling really squeezed by high prices and facing layoffs. And I get it. That's why we're not changing our membership price. Just five bucks a month will get you access to the entire members-only feed, which is over a hundred hours of history content and counting. And another thing we're doing is focusing a lot more on producing members-only episodes, which means there are a lot more of them coming. And this is something I'm really excited about. Dr. Z has a ton of stuff she wants to cover, from folklore to archaeology, and of course, some really salacious courtly intrigue. So instead of paying more and getting less, like everywhere else right now, if you support the BHP, you're going to get more for exactly the same price. So to everyone who supported us over the years, thank you so much. You've made this possible. And to anyone who's considering becoming a member, now is a really good time to do it. We're going to make sure that you get value for your support. And your support will ensure that this show keeps delivering the history that you really can't find anywhere else. So to sign up, go to the BritishHistoryPodcast.com, click Membership, and then select Become a Member. I hope you enjoy the following discussion, and I will be back with a full normal episode tomorrow. Hold on a sec. We've got a... <laughs> We're getting buzzed by an airplane. <laughs> I think it's probably the uh, fighter jets that come through every once in a while. Give an Antifa hell. Okay, so today is not a shop talk. Um, we are actually going to be expanding and talking about culture. Sort of medieval habitus, which is a word I will define in a minute. So we're going to be talking about a little bit about the medieval mind and how they conceptualize ideal behavior, which sounds very abstract, but it's the sort of thing that's going to define all of their actions. What we're going to be talking about is the ideal person or people types as medieval people would have understood it. So we're talking about if if you walked up to a, a medieval person in the 11th century, late 11th century, and you ask them, like, what is just the perfect person and how do they act? We're talking about that. Because that's going to inform how they move about their world. Okay. And we have these, all culture sort of has the, have these, like, that guy has worked out, they're doing all the right things per our culture. The rock. Uh, kind of, yeah. Right? Like, no, if yeah. you're like an ideal type of person who's he doing just, all the he, things he that we value in our culture, awesome. d- yeah. yeah, The Rock's probably up there. Yeah. I agree. Or Jason Momoa. So, in kind of that way, we're going to be defining <laughs> what would be The Rock <laughs> of... <laughs> of the 11th century? Of the late 11th, 12th century uh, medieval mind. Fantastic. Yeah, that's, that's about right. Uh, and specifically, we're going to be talking about that as it pertains to people in the noble classes. Um, because we're relying on writing to reconstruct these things, that means we really don't have it uh, for, you know, your average person, your peasants, because they're not really writing about themselves. Right. Um, the noble classes write all the time about peasants. But not in a necessarily the nicest way. But they're way. Not, not of them. And so yeah. sometimes it's actually very nice. Sometimes it's definitely not, but it's not of themselves. So it's those dirty commoners or that noble savage, but never really like, oh, so here's actually what they're like. (laughs) Some of them actually seem very practical, but the point is we 
I just want to put this forward that when I say the medieval mind, we're talking about the noble classes and there's a whole group of people that are very large who are not writing about themselves. And it's possible that this is what I'm putting forward is a shared ideology. So the peasants would actually completely agree and be on the same page. Or it's possible that in villages, they kind of had their own thing going on about what constructed a good man and a good woman and what constructed bad behavior. But this also instructs behavior uh, and how we we understand the mind. Because we have ideal types that we don't live up to all the time, but it does inform <laughs> yeah. how we move about the world. Right. Um, and these these kind of ideas change wildly through culture. So it tells us something about the culture, what the ideal type is. Mm-hmm. That's the most abstract <laughs> version of this. Okay. Most of this is coming from... Um, a scholar named David Crouch. Uh, he's currently a fellow of the British Academy. Um, and I love his work in particular because he's actually using, uh, he's applying a sociological lens and sociological ideas, so my field, and applying them to historical documents. So he's a historian who's kind of found sociology right. and he's melding them um, in really, I think, robust, rigorous ways. And it's coming up with some really interesting things that I also understand very well. So he's taking the best of the field of sociology and applying it to how we understand and pick literary sources. And through that, trying to reconstruct what we can in a responsible way of medieval culture. And what he applies well is this concept from a scholar named Bourdieu, which is the habitus. Habitus is that set of behaviors that you know about how to move about the world with. It's the sort of thing that's not directly passed down to you, but you learn as you move through the world. Mm -hmm. So you know when you go into a meeting who's in charge of the meeting. You know when to speak. You know when to be quiet. You know what kind of air to put on about yourself. You know what you're supposed to be wearing. Mm -hmm. This is all the habitus of the meeting. Right. So... If you're an office worker, the office in our culture has a habitus to it. And usually when someone gets their first office job, it's an awkward year and a half as they learn it. (laughs) And if you've ever switched to between different types of jobs, like especially if you go from white collar to blue collar or vice versa, there's different ways of being in there. But they're unspoken rules. You just know you're doing them wrong because everyone's looking at you weird. This is a habitus. So we're reconstructing the habitus, which is very fundamental to a culture, but also very hard to construct because it's a lot of these unspoken things. Unless you're George Washington and you have that prissy manual that he carried around. This is actually, you didn't you didn't realize it, but that's a perfect transition because this, really? this is the sort of thing that he's using, Crouch is using to construct uh, what is the ideal medieval <laughs> types in court. And so what we're actually defining here is what is courtly behavior, really, truly. How do you be a courtly man or a courtly woman? Uh, what is the courtly habitus? Mm-hmm. And he's doing this by looking at a collection of traditional Latin sources, but he also turns to vernacular sources, as in uh, things that are written in the lay, the local language. So a lot of it's French, but also some of it's German, some of it's in English. Okay. Later it becomes turns into English. And he's looking at these tracks, kind of like the thing that George Washington wrote, which are mm-hmm. this, these like... Here are the rules that explain why I don't like you. That was basically his book. <laughs> his was like a really <laughs> particularly pristy version. But these are tracks describing proper behavior and describing ideal behavior that you would comport yourself with in court. 
the way they're written, it's very clear that these people who are writing it are not inventing it. They're advising people, usually younger people, on how to, as you're going to rise through the ranks of a, of a court, um, try to establish yourself in this social society, the behaviors that are expected of you and the, the comportment that's expected of you. Mm-hmm. And through looking at this, you can actually find not a romantic ideal of courtly behavior, but the actual living ideal of courtly behavior that medieval people would have been using. Right. So less about like handing out favors to uh, to knights and stuff and more about like keep your mouth shut when this thing is happening. Yes. And keeping your mouth shut turns out to be a big part of it. We'll get that to, to that in a minute. I would have had a hard time in medieval court for a variety of reasons, but that would be one of them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'd- <laughs> You would have been described with a very particular word, and we'll get that to that in the second jester? half. Would it be jester? No. No? There is a word for this. Asshole. Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so to learn how to be courtly, you would have these tracks, but they're they're passed around, but they're a little more rare. Usually what would happen for your average person is if you were part of a noble household. And this does include actually the servant classes, kind of like they do in places where there are still servant classes running around a palace. They Mm -hmm. know all the rules of of noble living because they're helping facilitate it. The butler knows all proper behavior, right? More than most, actually. Sometimes more than people they're serving. Mm -hmm. So you, you have the center of this behavior is the hall. And so there's grand halls of high nobility and they're sort of lesser halls of sort of smaller, lesser, still noble classes, but, you know, they have less money. They're a little more marginal to society, but there's still this sort of behavior around it, how you comport yourself, um, that everyone would have been learning. And Mm -hmm. if you were sort of this uh, middle-level noble child, you start by serving in the hall. Um, A lot of this behavior rotates around dining. This is where politics happen in medieval society is around Mm -hmm. Food, food being served, the discussion around that that table is very important. Mm-hmm. So as a young child, you're part of that serving. You're not a serving class, but you have a serving role, and that's part of your education. And this is where you learn all of these ways of how you behave towards others, who's higher on the pecking order, who's lower on the pecking order. How do you be effective in, in navigating this very complex social world where others' opinions of you has everything to do with how successful your future is. Right. Um, because this is very much still a favor society. Those who have more are going to be the ones who hire you into households. If you do well there, you might be hired into a higher household. And that's where you might be able to establish yourself or or maintain what kind of status your family already has coming in. That makes sense. There's a certain uh, sorting that would happen naturally. If, if you're not necessarily socially adept, you would make more mistakes and you wouldn't be able to read the room. And so the people who could read the room and learn those those rules by watching and learning, uh, rather than being directly explained, they would be best positioned for higher courtly life. Yeah, it's not a deliberate sorting like that. That's just sort of how culture works. Um, so there, there were, obviously, people were instructing very directly how to do something, kind of like we do. We we have a four-year-old, we tell him t- table manners, slowly right. but surely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if anyone has any tips for that, by the way. <laughs> and we're not we're not doing that in this way of like, well, if we have to tell you, you're probably less smart and therefore not suited no, to... <laughs> no, 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 no. But but what, I'm, I'm talking more like, because courtly life is, is also very socially complex and you're going to need to be able to read 
the power relations and the uh, the social interplay in front of you without necessarily having like you're not going to be able to go on the internet and be like how do the following people actually interact and what's the power relation here yeah. so is- so the people who would be most adept at reading like very subtle body language and power structures based on social interactions they would be advantaged social skills is is, as we get through these ideal types it's clear that social skills really sits at the center of it and like soft social skills things that we barely even value today because of that yeah and this concept of the court is what bourdieu this is a, a french sociologist calls the field so you have a field in our context of, of our society, like the office is a field. Mm-hmm. It has a habitus, which is that it has a set of behaviors that is not technically directly agreed upon, but everyone eventually learns. Mm-hmm. And everyone knows when it's transgressed. Mm-hmm. That's a habitus. So we're talking about the field of the court, which happens in the hall, um, happens in places where nobles get together and do politics and do power. And this culture is being developed it's it, big in france um they certainly consider themselves the center and pinnacle of it the french what <laughs> but it's also clearly happening in in germany as well if you look at their uh similar writings you can see very similar concepts almost the same concepts again these nobles were all intermarrying they're all hanging out with each other mm-hmm. it makes sense that they're developing a similar culturally culture because of that right and this is the thing that just topped over to britain that everyone's kind of scrambling to adjust to as french nobles take over the top positions so right. everyone below them would have been like there probably would have been a lot of similarities but it wouldn't have been exact and so there's well, these adjustments the, up and the french nobles who are coming over the like the bulk of them are they would be the outgroup amongst the french because mm-hmm. they were Normans. They're French, but they're not French-French. Yeah. It, and, At least as far as the French were concerned. And basically that turns into over the next... Because we're talking about a culture that lasts a good 250, 300 years. Right. And we'll kind of... We'll talk about that transformation. Um, Britain then comes into this over the next 20, 30 years from where we're at in the show. And then we have British tracks on on proper behavior and courtly behavior. And it's clear that they're they're fully in this courtly medieval culture. Right. Um, there may be slight differences, but the the big things are basically the same. Basic, like, developing identity stuff is figuring out in-group, out-group. That's like, so yeah. that would, and so that that would be a big part of it then, right? Like, you're the, the colonizing new aristocracy. You come up with a bunch of rules that distinguish you and your, aris, your fellow aristocrats from... In this case, yes, the, that... The existing now deposed English. <laughs> that happens, but in this case, it doesn't seem like this is a big part of this. Okay. Um, they come in already believing ma- many of these behaviors. This is just the correct way to do things. Okay. So they're not trying to establish it. It's already established for them when they come over, and now they're 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 in a place where, like, their servant classes or lesser lords are, are like, a little off. Right. But within two or three generations, everyone's on well on the same page. And that settlement sort of sets up what... Crouch is kind of reconstructing, um, and I find very interesting, which is he thinks that there is a period of what he calls hysteresis. Okay. I'm not sure if I'm actually pronouncing that. It's a Bourdieu term. You're on the BHP. Whoa. Like, just <laughs> mispronunciation everything. is what we do. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because I, I should know how to pronounce that term. It's one of my field's term, but it's also... Mispronouncing things is our habitus. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's just our habit. Um <laughs> 
But a, a period of hysteresis is what happens when social context changes so fast, culture changes so fast, that those who already mastered a certain habitus, it no longer applies. So okay. we're kind of seeing this right now. Uh, office culture has changed a lot, to go back to that that term. Because Is there even office culture anymore with work from home? This is like, yeah, and there Arguably, there is. We're all still clearly working white collar jobs, those who are. Right. Uh, but you can see older office workers really struggling with all this mastery they did of certain social behaviors that that helped them move through that world. Suddenly, most of them don't apply. Yeah. They don't apply in the same way. And so this is that period of hysteresis where you've got this group, big group of players. The field just changed out from under them. Their habitus no longer functions. Right. And they're in this place of like, whoa. The late 12th century, so about 100 years from where we are in the podcast, there is a point of this kind of hysteresis where he calls it the chivalric turn. So we have chivalry in sort of a practice way, mm -hmm. but there's a cultural shift at the end of the 12th century where this congeals even harder. And now okay. Empower goes up to even a smaller group of people. Just in case he thought it couldn't get worse. <laughs> and all good behaviors, all good behaviors are considered only possible in a tight noble classes and in knights particularly this is where we get the myth of the knight in shining armor type yes, stuff yeah and we're going to move towards that through 100 years so what we're doing now is sort of defining the courtly behavior um, and courtly ideals as they exist at the end of the 11th century and knowing that that's going to then transform over the next 100 years um, so we're sticking with where we are now talking about courtly behavior and its ideals that's it. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. I don't know why academics have this reputation of being long-winded. Yeah. But now I'm, we're going to start the talk. I'm really excited. <laughs> We've been talking for at least 10, 15 minutes now, and uh, it was just the intro. <laughs> so the first ideal around which all the other ideals sort of pivot, which is mm -hmm. the most important, um, is the ideal courtly man. And from there, we talk about what makes an ideal courtly man, what makes an ideal courtly woman, and continue our freewheeling conversation that gives you a kind of background into the sorts of things that we tend to discuss when we're not directly on the mic. Only, you know, this time we were on the mic. So if you'd like to listen to more of that, please go and sign up for membership at thebritishhistorypodcast.com. Thanks for listening.